We're going to have to apologise to the listeners for our absence, you know. Um, Parliament in recess, we were in recess. I you was were in hol- recess. I was in Don't recess. Don't we were in recess. You were in recess. We're a team. We've got to make this a team effort, right? You know, I know you were there where I was in spirit. You weren't there physically. I was here with sore shoulders. Yeah, correct. Carrying the whole the whole um, jig team. Exactly. Yeah. Well done. David Cunliffe remains about as popular in the Labour caucus as a pussycat at Gareth Morgan's house. Look, this is a la-la budget. When my eyebrow goes up, it's a joke. Police still arrest criminals in New Zealand. We've tried cannabis prohibition for the past 40 years. The fact is, that was a boring, useless speech. Zip it, sweetie, I'm getting there. Mr. Speaker, they say a week is a long time in politics. Hello and welcome back to the Iron Duke Podcast, your weekly recap of all things policy and politics, where we run you through our peaks and our pits, interesting bits and anything that fits from Aotearoa and around the globe. I'm joined in studio by Principal Consultant Byron Terrace. Maddie, it's great to be back on another week of the Iron Duke Podcast and I do apologise to those loyal listeners out there for our short little absent over the last three weeks. There was a mix of travel, a mix of recess and a mix of Maddie just holding up the whole team here at Iron Duke Partners. This week... On it was, the that podcast. was wonderful validation for how I've been feeling. Yeah, good. Well, you know, I'll get a smile out of you yet. Uh, this week on the podcast, there's so much to cover. Uh, we didn't have time to organise a special guest, so it's just Maddie and I going through the last three weeks of some seriously big political and policy challenges for New Zealand. So Maddie, why don't you just kick us off? Pull that trigger, let's go. First and foremost, biggest issue still facing New Zealand is the cost of living crisis. Now, we've got a heap that we can talk about in terms of what's happened in the last three weeks. Let's begin with the fact that the Treasury has come out with a report that said, lo and behold, government spending fueled inflation. Now, we all knew this was going to be the case, but by how much, we didn't quite realise. Exactly. Government's to blame for high inflation, no doubt about it. But of course, what's going on on one side? You've got fiscal policy, so that's the government spending. What Chris Hipkins and Grant Robertson chooses to spend their stuff on, they just keep pouring money in over the last few years. And then on the other hand, you've got monetary policy, which is the Reserve Bank of New Zealand pushing that OCR up, pushing that interest rates up, trying to slow things down. So you've got fiscal and monetary policy working against each other, and it's the consumers, the people of New Zealand that get caught in the middle with exactly what you're talking about, Maddie, the rising cost of living. And just recently, Adrian Orr keeps pumping those interest rates up so that he can somehow slow down this economy and create, yes, that's right, the big dirty R word, and create a bit of a recession in New Zealand. What do you make of commentary yesterday in response to your announcement that you are deliberately engineering a recession? Uh, I think that is correct. No one could have predicted that the OCR was going up by another 05 a couple of weeks ago. And look, it's spread right across our economy. Already it's been predicted that we're going to have a trade deficit that is worse than any other OECD nation. In fact, it's going to be worse than Greece. It's going to be worse than Cyprus. So I think whilst we're talking about how bad it's going to get, and people feel it already, one thing I want to talk about is food prices. Up 12.1%, the highest they've increased since the 80s, when I'm pretty sure you were born. Thanks, Maddie. No worries. But people are already starting to feel the crunch, but it's about to get so much worse. we compare ourselves to our international uh, comparators, our OECD partners, Bloomberg, the big trading house out of the US, took a look at the OECD and said, guess what? New Zealand, you have got a 70% chance that your economy is going to get screwed this year. In other words, a recession. The UK, who's just as bad as us, 75%. So 
Congrats, New Zealand. We're as bad as the United Kingdom. What's your next topic? The government's affordable water reforms, formerly known as Three Waters. So what New Minister Kieran McInulty has done is he's transformed what was a monolithic four-entity, big process, take all the water off assets off councils, turn it into four beasts, and just turn it into... Ten beasts, basically, and that's the only change, really. And he's failed to cut out the thing that people hated most about it, which was co-governance. I personally don't think this is going to make any difference. I personally don't think it's got any cut through at all. Hipkins said, oh, there's no co-governance. McAnulty says there is co-governance. Māori says there's not enough co-governance. And so you've got everyone kind of confused about the most controversial part of these reform packages. I mean, I'm not advocating for keeping water with councils at the moment because it's a complete disaster. I walked past one of the biggest uh, water events that I've seen on my commute to work this morning uh, on one of the streets in Wellington. There's just a pipe just spilling out into the road. It's a disaster, so you need to change that. But is this the the right way to do it? Government just top-down saying, hey, come up with some magical regions and we'll just take the water assets off you. No value to the councils that own it now. It's just strange. And McAnulty has not done a great job of in my opinion, actually communicating anything. The treaty recognises that Māori have special rights in water in particular. When I was putting forward alternatives to, for Cabinet to consider, I wasn't willing to change on that because I think it's the right thing to do. We know for a fact that people don't vote for things they don't understand and the government has just gone ahead and made this more confusing. On the topic of other government announcements, teacher class sizes. Government came out with a huge announcement on educational reform, which is that class sizes are going to go down from 29 students for years 4 to 8 to 28 students. Now, one has to ask why you would think that people would think that your announcement was going to make a difference. We already know that class sizes are not what contributes to educational outcomes. They're a part of it, but more importantly, it's teacher training quality and Already the unions have come out and smacked this around. The opposition have come out and smacked this around. But education, a couple of months ago, we weren't even talking about it as an election issue. But as the Nats have continued to hammer home the dismal states of our schools and classrooms, the government has had to respond. Teachers still striking here, there and everywhere. Pay still hasn't been agreed to. So in that environment, to come out with an announcement like this, a bit of a joke. Uh, Worse than that, uh, so you're telling teachers in the middle of a labour shortage where there aren't enough teachers, oh, we'll just magic up some other teachers from somewhere with no plan to be able to find them. Because that's how you get smaller class sizes. You have more teachers. Oh, and actually, what a lot of people don't understand is that schools are funded per child who is attending, and it is then the Board of Trustees in consultation with the principal who decides how many kids per classroom, and as a result, how many teachers that school's going to have. Ridiculous. What's next for you, Byron? I want to talk about AUKUS. I want to talk about geopolitics and strategic competition in the Pacific. So AUKUS is that big thing where the US, the UK and Australia all got together to build some nuclear-powered submarines for Australia. Why does Australia, a country of 25 million people, need nuclear-powered submarines? Because they're on the doorstep of the big evil monster that sits inside China. So we, as New Zealand, with our only natural ally being Australia, not the US, as many people seem to believe, have now got a serious question to ask ourselves. Do we want to be part of this? Well, does this want to be a part of us? Like, have we actually received an invitation yes, to this party? Yes, we've, for, we've formally received an invitation to what is called Pillar 2. And Pillar 2 is the technology and information sharing component of this agreement. In other words, does New Zealand get access to cool, funky Western technology? And of course, people kind of scream in New Zealand, oh no, our independent foreign policy. We're going, oh no. Just because you're independent doesn't mean that you still can't be liberal, democratic and connected to the West because those are our major allies who buy into the same democratic norms, liberal norms that we buy into. 
Isn't pillar one and pillar three the cool pillars? Isn't aren't those no, two we, agreements we the ones with stuff? Yeah, we don't need the stuff. I mean, like, is it because we have no stuff to bring to the table? Oh, no, we don't need. Is st- it like you can only come to the potluck if you bring a plate? It's more like uh, if you're going to go to a car meetup, you need a car, right? We don't have a car. I think my potluck analogy was a little less aggressive than a car meetup. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, so we've got we've got this big decision to make as a country, and if we choose, do you think we'll do it? I. Well, the challenge is, is that people whinge about, oh, we're going to be in the pocket of the USA. It's, well, guess what? We're a democracy that relies on the multilateral world order, which is defended by, oh, <laughs> that's right, countries like Australia, the UK and US. So yeah. we're wedded to it anyway. And whether you like it or not, people that don't like this, we've got to pick a side eventually, and this is probably one of those occasions. What's your next one? Speaking of picking sides, we're picking the side of the Commonwealth, both Christopher Luxon and Christopher Hipkins, Red Chris, Blue Chris, as well as the true white male leader of New Zealand, Rich. McCaw will all be going to the King's coronation on May the 5th. This will mark one of only three trips that Chris Hipkins is going to make as Prime Minister of New Zealand. He's going to Australia this weekend. Not sure if it's like a long Melbourne weekend thing or if he's going to the Gold Coast for theme parks. He's probably going to see Albanese though at one of those two places, either a high-end Melbourne restaurant or SeaWorld. His other trip will be to the big NATO meeting at the middle of the year and then obviously the coronation as well. So important that New Zealand is representing themselves there because there are a few heads of state who won't be attending. Yeah, important that Hipkins is going to the NATO summit in July. That's a very important. It goes to what I was talking about about AUKUS before, but also his predecessor, Jacinda Ardern, was, one of the, was the first New Zealand Prime Minister to go to a NATO summit. And the follow-up the next year says a lot about our relationship with the West and our relationship with those military alliances. And I think that's a net good for New Zealand. And it also says a lot about Jacinda Ardern and how much of the groundwork that she has really done for New Zealand's place in the world. Another topic for me is her valedictory speech, which if listeners haven't had a listen to that, it is phenomenal. That you can be anxious, sensitive, kind, and wear your heart on your sleeve. You can be a mother or not. You can be all of these things. And not only can you be here, you can lead just like me. And she lists, you know, all of the things that she's most proud of. It is a great list, but she's also pretty humble about where she got it wrong. She's humble about the fact that she could have gone harder and further on a number of, of, of things. But she really just ends it in such a beautiful way, which was... I'm just a girl from Morrinsville standing in front of an electorate asking them to vote for me. And it, it's it's a really, really cool speech and I think it will be a great piece of New Zealand political history. Isn't that the start of that Journey song, Don't Stop Believing? Uh, no, it was a Love Actually reference and Uh-oh. the fact that you don't know that. Well, I'm not into love, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and as your colleague, it shows. You know I had a birthday the other week? Say again? <laughs> exactly. Uh, fair enough. Uh, Next topic for me is the second harbour crossing for Auckland and how not a single human being outside of the Beehive believes that this is going to get built by 2029. I totally miss the announcement. Yeah. We do this for a job. Michael Wood just came out one day, said to the New Zealand public, oh, by the way, don't worry about all that other shit that's going on in the country, like the recession or cost of living or retail crime or anything like that. We're going to build some other way for Aucklanders to get to the other side. We're going to do it. And it's going to happen before 2030, that's right, like 2029, December the 30th-ish, around there, blah, 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 the last kind of possible moment in the 2020s. And no one believed it. Not a single person has come out and said, this is a great idea, really good to see that the policy groundwork has been done, 
There's no framework to be able to pay for this. I mean, the astronomical billions of dollars that this will cost to build a road plus light rail plus some cycleways, either a tunnel or a bridge in a place that we don't actually know where it's going to go yet. Just strange. So there's going to be five options, right? Is this going to be the, like the flag referendum where they put out the options to everyone and then everyone votes? Because I hope there'll be one of those glass tunnels like you have at the aquarium where you're driving through it and you can see the fish in your car. That's what I'm going to submit. Uh, Are they taking submissions? Do you should you you should write that in crayon. That would be perfect <laughs> if you wrote that in crayon. I think that would be a really nice wholesome submission. We can put it on the fridge here in Iron Duke. <laughs> be really nice. What's your next topic, Maddie? Mine is similarly just like terrible announcements. There is currently a bill making its way through the house around asylum seekers, so boat people. What a horrible term! A horrific term. Now I ask you a question, Byron. When has a boat of asylum seekers ever arrived on the shores of New Zealand? Uh, probably never. I was going to say probably around 1840. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> there were quite a few in the 1830s and, and 1840s. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. Horrific bill. Um, if you actually have a read through it, which I did last week, it allows for us to essentially incarcerate asylum seekers as they arrive on our shore, hold them in prisons until for we 28 can, days, yeah. for 28 days until we can process their Our visas. Trials. Just horrific. Yeah, it's the Australian model. And I I cannot see the logic about Our where Jones this government came would have never from. done this. What might happen here and I don't know and I'm just speculating here because I'm just going to throw out a speculator is is this some discussion that we had with Australia that they said oh your migrant boat people policy is too lax so you need to increase it. <laughs> This is a colossal waste of time, and it's nasty. I'll say it again, Ardern's government would have never done this. i tell you what Ardern's government didn't do, and that's get on top of Stuart Nash. <laughs> so something that's really interesting that's happened in the last few months is the Is that the phrasing you want to do? Get on top? Perfect, works for me. Great, let's keep going. Turns out Ardern knew, or Ardern's office knew, all about Stuart Nash's kind of... Uh, just gossip circles that he had with major donors. So Stuart Secrets. Oh, it's a little newsletter he would put out. God, he got slashed eventually. And what makes this even worse is that there was an OIA request. So someone clearly knew that this was going on, put in an OIA request, and it went through numerous pairs of eyes inside his office, probably inside the Prime Minister's office, and they said, oh, you know what, that's not official information, don't worry, it's just an MP, he's not a minister in this email, but in that email he's a minister, but in this email he's just an MP. It was just terrible. And that was the downfall, is that this minister who, you know, mid-ranked minister, had a few good portfolios, blah, 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 just wrote stuff down where you could just say, hey, look. Oh, look, I d I'm, oh. I'm going to dispute you here. It's The issue is not that he wrote stuff down. The issue is that he said it in the first place. Like, what an absolute idiot. Like, you've been elected as a minister of the crown. Shut your mouth and do your job. I'm a bit more of a pragmatist here. No, you're also a gossip. You're, you feel sympathy for what has happened. Well, actually, you know, there's one person that I do agree with this, and that was um, former Deputy Prime Minister Winston Peters, who said, oh, look, everyone does it. No one's dumb enough to write it down. And I'm like, fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, things are starting to heat up politically, no doubt about that. Uh, an interesting one for me has been the speculation for, you know, I know you're a lover of the rumour mill, the gossip circles, the speculation that Louisa Wall will stand for Te Pate Māori, the Māori party, in her old seat of Manarewa. Now, I've said a couple of times now, we haven't had any 
star-studded candidates come out of the woodwork this election. There hasn't been anyone that anyone knows, you know, put their hand up. There's been no Chris Luxon or Tamadi Coffey. And I thought it was because people had fallen out of love with politics. Because if you're a sane and rational actor, why would you put your hand up to stand for parliament at the moment? Mm. So not only could that be a fantastic contest. Remember, Louisa Wall is a twice-capped New Zealand representative. She was both a black fern and a silver fern. She's Māori. She's gay. She's about as good as they get. And the Labour Party threw her away over some internal political scandal. Another person who's come out of the woodwork is Dave Latelli. Some of you may know him from the Butterbean movement, um, a hugely outspoken social activist, and he would be a phenomenal asset to the New Zealand Parliament. So it's really starting to heat up. I think that uh, Louisa Wall is an interesting one, simply because she's got a really strong position on China, she's got a really strong position on democracy, on human rights, and ended up being quite an odd partner of Conservative MPs in the Parliament uh, with the likes of Simon O'Connor and others talking strongly against China. I thought she was a, uh, a major loss to Parliament. So if she comes back, it'd be great to see her. And look, there might be a seat for her because it looks like a few are going to open up courtesy of the Green Party. Now, we don't give them a lot of love on this podcast and that is not because we don't love them, it's because they've been hugely irrelevant lately. But they're back in the news cycle for all the wrong reasons, mm. which is petty infighting. Correct. Elizabeth Kitty Kitty has basically gone on record over the last few months and told anyone that disagrees with her that they're racist. But not only that, some of you may have seen the headlines, in a group chat, she called Chloe Swarbrick a crybaby. The only issue was that was the Green Party MP's group chat. So there is now an internal review into her as a potential bully. On top of that, we've had Marama Davidson come out and say that cis white men are the sole perpetrators of domestic violence. Now, how this is going to play out for them in the next couple of polls, I'll be interested to see. But on the whole, they're lacking discipline and they're just looking ugly. They're looking incredibly ugly. I mean, this is yeah, who hasn't sent an accidental spicy message to a group chat? Uh, and so Elizabeth Kitty Kitty kind of walking back and then hanging up on the RNZ interview was like, you just look like shit. But the beauty of it was she sent that text message whilst they're in the house. So Parliament TV has caught the reaction of her colleagues live on camera. And it's fantastic. You can see Julianne Genta looking to Goros being, oh my goodness, she's clearly sent this text to the wrong person. And look, with James Shaw going list only in Wellington Central, I think it's only a matter of time before he bows out as well. And he is really kind of the pragmatic one that's holding a lot of that brand together. I don't think his brand necessarily fits with that of the current Green Party. And even, you know, Chloe Swarbrick, even her brand of, you know, quite well-reasoned, strong advocacy, Mm. her brand is almost kind of on the outer with this brand of the Green Party as well, which is quite interesting. Totally agree. And that's me. That's that's my run-through. Finish us off. New Zealanders, I want to talk to you about something that is rising in the importance inside of every New Zealander's mind, and that is retail and petty crime. Last week, the prison at Rimutaka got full, and an email was sent out to frontline police in Wellington saying, hey, if you do find someone that's breaking the law, just consider whether you need to actually arrest them or not, because we've (laughs) we've got nowhere to put them. And so that's a wider symptom of not only our justice system being at capacity, but just the absolute prevalence of retail crime, petty crime, and even over the last couple of weeks, stabbings and people getting seriously injured and killed trying to stop Mm. people taking shit from their store. You've now got dairies putting up steel bars inside to protect their staff 
since when was this the New Zealand we lived in? Every time you go on to any mainstream media platform, you will see stories upon stories upon stories mm. of it getting a lot worse out there. And my worry is that more and more New Zealanders are actually going to get hurt trying to protect their shops. Yeah, and look, what starts off as petty theft very quickly becomes aggravated assault, which very quickly becomes a murder charge. So these people who were on the wrong track suddenly have their entire lives derailed. And I'm not trying to show sympathy for some of these criminals. Like I I believe that they are the scum of our society, robbing mum and dad businesses, small businesses, which are supposed to be the engine of our economy. You talk about those steel bars and it's something I've been thinking about a lot and that is anti-crime architecture. Everywhere you look at the moment, there are bollards going up. There are additional security mechanisms coming on front doors, screens that lock down, roll down. Once we start installing those things, it's like anti-homelessness architecture. They never go away. They start to change the look and feel of our cities and make them far more exclusionary. And so instead of treating the symptom, we put a Band-Aid on it. And that is what a lot of the stuff that you're talking about is. I find it deeply concerning. It's an issue that for me is really personal because my younger sister is working in, in a retail store down in a pretty dingy part of Christchurch and she has been assaulted. Yep. And it's something that we need to as a society actually acknowledge and address and actually be a bit... Harder where we need to be harder and also offer new pathways for people that are uh, that do need help. We do need to do something about it. But what we're doing right now, saying, ah, maybe you just need to think about the necessity of the rests, that's a genuine quote from the email to police. That is not on and that is not the New Zealand that I necessarily want to live in. Well, I acknowledge that we started on a low note and we're going out on a low note. But hey, a lot to cover off. And listeners, we promise we won't take this long again next week. Is that a pointed comment at me? It might be. Fantastic. And until then, we'll see see you next week. week.